today's scripture reading is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine knowledge, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply In your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. May God bless the reading of this word. Let's pray for the message this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have now to open our, your word, and I pray that you would be with our pastor as he delivers this message. Father, the truth from your word, I just pray that we would uh, be ready to listen and to apply these things that we hear. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be amongst us to... Uh, Encourage us and to enlighten us. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is an interesting chapter, teaches us the interaction we have with sin as believers. It seems like verses 1 through 13 talk about a non-believer and his interaction with sin, and then 14 through the end of the chapter seems to talk about the believers and sin. Now, this passage we're going to look at looks very familiar to you because it sounds very similar to last week's passage. Last week's passage was verses 14 through 17, but there was a distinction last week. We talked about why believers cannot stop doing sinful actions. Cannot stop doing sinful actions. That was explained last week. This week. Similar words, similar phrases, going to be talking about how a believer cannot do righteous actions. 
So last week, talking about sinful actions. This week, talking about righteous actions. So, you may want to do a righteous action, but there are reasons a believer can't do them on his own. Uh, One side of the situation is that believers live in with their sin nature. You live with your sin nature. And there's a battle going on between you and your sin nature. Uh, The side where he fails to keep the moral law of God, and this causes you to sin. Believer gives in to the temptation and sins against the moral law of God. Now, how can I explain this? Okay, let's pretend. We're all going to pretend. Put on your pretend hats. We're going to pretend that we're going to a Kansas city you've never been in. Let's, uh, let's call the city Mulvane, okay? You've never been in Mulvane. You've never been down the street. You get to a street. You think it's a prominent street. It's first street. You think it's a big street. You think it's a good street. It's got a 45-mile-per-hour speed limit, so you put your cruise control on 45 miles per hour because you're a Christian and you use your cruise control. Okay, yes, you all shook your head. Good. Now, now you're going through Mulvane. You've never been in Mulvane. You saw the sign. It said 45. But you now are in a different part of Mulvane, uh, the ritzy part of Mulvane. And you do not realize what the speed limit is, but you notice that a police officer is behind you and his lights are on. And he pulls you over, and he says, "How do you know how fast you were going? And of course, you say, exactly 45 miles per hour, which the speed limit sign said. I had cruise control on. I was going exactly 45. That's what I was doing. And the police officer said, well, the speed limit is 20 miles per hour here. You go, no, I saw the sign. It said 45 miles per hour. I put my cruise control on 45, and that's what I was going. Policeman goes, no, there was another sign about two blocks away, and it's moved it down to 20 miles an hour. Now, you, being a good Christian, say, okay, I'll take the citation. But I want you to know, officer, The person to blame is my cruise control. Because I set it at 45. But didn't know it got into a 20 mile per hour zone or else it would have reduced the speed. Blame the cruise control. Now, uh, a lot of Christians do the same thing. A lot of Christians do the same thing. See, when we are saved, we get our conscience cleaned, we get uh, the Holy Spirit to come in, and we're getting dwelt spiritually baptized, and we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we are a new creation in Christ. But with this new creation in Christ, we still have our flesh, our sin nature, our old self. We still have that part of us that desires to do the sinful thing. And we may want to do the righteous thing. 
We may even set our cruise control on doing the righteous thing, but we end up doing the sinful thing. Now, you can point your finger at things. You can say it's the cruise control. It's whatever. It's the law. It's whatever. It's whatever. It's the sinful desire took over, the temptation. I was too weak. Whatever you can blame it on. But what is to blame is yourself. Now, how does your sin nature work against your sanctification? How does it get you off track? Your desire as a believer is to be sanctified. This week, your prayer is to be more sanctified than you were last week. But there are going to be a thing called sin. And it's going to try to do everything it can to hurt your sanctification. Now, Paul tries to help us and tries to give us an understanding of what our sin nature does against the work of sanctification. So here we go. Verse 18. Verse 18. How does the sin nature hurt the work of sanctification? How does sin nature hurt the work of sanctification? Verse 18, first part. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Number one, the believer has, believer's sin nature works against godliness. Goodness, excuse me. Goodness. Goodness. I'm getting ahead of myself. A believer's sin nature works against goodness. There is nothing good that dwells in me. This relates back to what? Remember? The moral law of God. The law. It was holy, righteous, and good. But the goodness that is in you is not goodness that's like the law. A believer's sin nature works against goodness. There's nothing good that dwells in me. Goodness is declared good by God. A person's sin nature or flesh, there is nothing good. There's nothing good. And it dwells in you. The believer's sin nature, there is nowhere close to being good. Nowhere close to being good. You cannot even get close to calling it good. It will be sinful, unrighteous, and evil. That is in my flesh. The flesh is powerless to produce any action of holiness or goodness. It cannot create anything holy or good. Turn to 2 Peter. Scripture reading. Keep your finger in Romans. 2 Peter chapter 1. We went over a verse in Scripture reading. I want you to notice the verse. Verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. <clears throat> I want to give you the other side of the coin. In your redeemed, saved, born again, new child body, you have the flesh. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Notice what else you have. 
For by these things he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. That's the gospel. You have promises. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. In the world by lust. At salvation of believers and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shares the moral nature, character of God. You have in you the holy, moral nature of God dwelling in you from the day you are saved until God calls you home and resurrects you. You have a divine nature in you. And that divine nature is at war with your flesh, with your sin nature with your old self. You are in a battle constantly with your sin nature. You have escaped. The believers in the state of escaping the corruption of the world. What is the corruption of the world? Sin. You are in the process right now of escaping the corruption of the world. How does the corruption of the world come and attack you? It attacks you by the lust. It starts in your heart. starts in your desires. It starts in what we talked about two weeks ago, the passion that comes from our flesh. The evil passions of the human heart. Those evil passions fight against the divine nature. So, in your redeemed person, you have part of the divine nature of God and you have part of the sin nature that comes from Adam. You have these two within you that causes a problem, a battle, a warfare where you want to do something, you have in your mind a desire to do something that is good and pleasing and keeping with the moral law of God and you say, I want to do what God's law says And you say, let's do it. But the sin nature, the flesh, corrupts you so that you cannot do what you desire to do. Look at verse 19, Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, I'm sorry, verse 18. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Got to cover the last of the verse. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. How does the sin nature hurt the work of sanctification? Number two, a believer's sin nature works against righteous actions. Believer's sin nature works against righteous actions. In other words, you willing, you will, you have a desire, you have a wish, you have a prayer to do something. It's present in you, but you end up doing something that is not good. You end up doing something that's not righteous. Paul intends to do the moral law of God, but he will fall short. The desire to do good is not the goal. But the good action that follows the moral law of God is the goal. In other words, 
you will try to think of something that is in keeping with the moral law of God, and you will say, I want to do that. And you say it in your head, in your mind, you think it, and you say, I want to do that, and you end up not doing it. You sin. You give in to your sin nature, your flesh, your old self, and you do what is not righteous and holy and good. Paul's action never does the intended act of goodness or righteousness and ends up doing the sinful, unrighteous act. Verse 19. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. Well, how does the sin nature hurt the work of sanctification? Number three. A believer's sin nature works against good plans. Works against good plans. The good I want, I do not do. The good I want, I do not do. Believer's base desire is to do the good, probably explained by the moral law of God, and it does not happen. He does not do it. The believer desires to do the will of God, and grows in his sanct- and grow in his sanctification, but the sin nature fights against that action, and you end up doing the sinful action that follows the sin nature. So you have a thought in the mind. You say, "I want to do this. I want to please God," and you end up not accomplishing what God wants you to do. You do not follow the moral law of God. You, com- you battle against it, and you end up sinning. You end up sinning. Fourth, how does the sin nature hurt the work of sanctification? Look at the end of verse 19. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. I practice the very evil that I do not want. How does the sin nature hurt the work of sanctification? Number four. A believer's sin nature works against the moral law of God. The moral law of God. You want to do the moral law of God, and you cannot do it. You practice the very evil that I do not want. You practice the opposite of the moral law of God. You see the word practice literally means to do something as a habit. It seems you are consistently doing the evil thing. The believer may want to do the moral law of God, but on his own power, he cannot carry out the good. He carries out the evil. That is spiritual. That's the spiritual battle that the mature believer has. You battle with evil. Closer to God get, the smaller the sin may be, if you can declare a sin small. And you fight against that. And your sin nature, which is evil in you, produces evil passions, which result in evil actions. And the evil breaks the moral law of God. <clears throat> Colossians five seventeen says, The flesh is set its desires against the spirit. So the flesh and the spirit are within you. 
And your mind says one thing and you end up doing something else. The spirit wants one thing. The flesh wants another thing. Never do they agree. They're always in opposition. And you want to do the right thing that pleases God. Everything that's evil does not conform to God's character and holiness. Characters, God's character and holiness. And therefore would not follow the moral law of God. Verse 20. Verse 20. First part of verse 20. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, if I am doing the very thing I do not want, how does the sin nature hurt the work of sanctification? Number five. Number five. A believer's sin nature works against obeying God. Works against doing what God wants you to do. Works against what God desires His servant to do. You do the opposite. If I'm doing the very thing, if I'm doing the action, what the believer is hating is the very thing he is doing. The evil that he doesn't want to do, he does it. The sin nature desires to disobey God. And that desire to disobey God is very strong. Non-believers don't have that battle in their life. They just do what the evil thing is. But believers have that battle between doing what God wants you to do and doing the evil. Sometimes a believer intends to think that they're doing something good. Sometimes a believer makes a decision that they think this would be good. And they don't realize that even them thinking that may not be good. And you end up doing something that you think is good. And it ends up being declared by God as giving in to a sinful passion and sinful action. And therefore, you are doing something that doesn't please God. That's what you're not intended to do. That will not make God happy. You are doing something that disobeys God. Because it's hard to obey God. And you end up doing something you do not want to do. Six, here we go. The end of verse 20. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Sin which dwells in me. Number six. How does the sin nature hurt the work of sanctification? Number six. A believer's sin nature works against the will of God. Works against the will of God. Now remember we talked about the will of God before. The will of God is God's desire for you to do something that pleases Him today or tomorrow, let's say. You have a God's desire. He wants you to do something. And in order for you to do it, you have to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And you have to do it in the Holy Spirit's power. And you have to go out tomorrow and do it. But if you try to do it on your own, and not using the Holy Spirit, doing your own effort, trying to be good, or do something that you think is good, you'll end up falling short. Sin nature works against the will of God. If you follow the sin nature, He will never show you the will of God. Um, 
I don't even, I don't even think I want to give you examples. But it's amazing how believers, quote unquote, you think they're believers, come up with the most sinful things as reasons for them doing something. They'll think, they'll say something like, uh, uh, well, I found somebody that will really love me, so I'm going to divorce my wife. She makes me really happy. And they think that they will do something that begins as a sinful breaking of a command, and that sin will make them happy. When that's not God's desire for you. And you end up picking something or doing something or thinking something, and that thinking becomes a passion, and that passion becomes an action, and you fall in to sin. Sin is your enemy. He is not your friend. Sin is an act that misses God's expressed and revealed will. Sin is a state of being that is contrary to the nature of God and will give you nothing, nothing, nothing but hardship. Matter of fact, if you're a believer, I believe you'll get admonishment. Should come from your church. Should come from your elders. It should come, if nobody else does anything, it should come from your Heavenly Father. And I think, and I'm not saying every, every early death is this way, but many early deaths happen because God's calling them home. Because they've not repented of that sin that they are enjoying. And God is a jealous God. He'll call you home. Anyway, here we go. We got sin and your sin nature. The sin nature that you have does two things and causes you to do sinful things last week. This week, it causes you not to be able to do the righteous thing. So your sin nature does both things. Produces more sin. It keeps you away from doing the righteous thing. Now, since if I sent you home now, you'll probably have a bad lunch bad nap, and you'll probably be uh, have a headache and not come back for Bible study tonight. So, since I don't want that to happen this afternoon, I'm going to give you a little secret. I'm going to show you some things that Satan does to try to attack you and bring you down. Now, if you know what Satan is trying to do, if you know his plan, his strategy, you can come up with a better strategy that will protect you from it, right? That will give you a great lunch, a great nap, and excitement to come back for Bible study tonight. You all said in unison. Yeah, okay, fine. Here we go. I want to give you things that sin will attack you and work in a daily way against your sanctification. In other words, the plan of attack. Here you go. What is sin's daily plan of attack upon your sanctification? How will he attack your sanctification? We are studying the book of what? 
Romans. Let's do it in order. We'll take it in order that Romans give us. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We'll go here to the end. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. We'll take it in the order that book of Romans gives us. Verse 18. Everybody there? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Let's take the first one there. Ungodliness. What is sin's daily plan of attack for you today? What's he trying to do to get you to sin? Sin will attempt to get the believer to act anti-God. Anti-God. That's literally what the word's talking about, ungodliness. It's doing something that God would not do. It's doing something that God's character would not allow God to do. It is something that you or I can do when we listen to our sin nature. And when we listen to our sin nature, we can do something that is anti-God. Anti-God. And sin will try to get you to do it. Literally, to act in opposition. Ungodliness is to act in opposition. Ungodliness against the laws of the first Ten Commandments that talk about your relationship with God. He tries to get you to go opposite of that. All ungodliness and unrighteousness comprehends all evil doing. I think he may be talking about all sin combined can be covered by these two, ungodliness and unrighteousness. You and I do not want to participate in anything that is anti-God. We are on God's side. We are for God. If He's for it, we're for it. And even if it's hard, we will be for it. God is God. He cannot be against His character. We, as His children, should not act against His character. Sin will attempt to get the believer to act anti-God. Here we go, number two. Turn to verse 29, Romans 1, 29. I want you to notice the first part of the verse. 29a, being filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness. And wickedness, stop there. And wickedness. What is sin's daily plan of attack upon your sanctification? Number two. Sin will attempt to get the believer to change his morals. He wants to change your morals. He wants you to act wickedly. Wickedly means to have a heart that is depraved. He wants to change your heart. You cannot do wickedness unless your heart is changed. You want to stay away from anything that would be wickedness. Because that means your heart is depraved. You don't want your morals changed. Your morals and God's morals are the same morals. We do not want any difference between our morals and God's morals. Wickedness is the refusal to acknowledge God. We want to acknowledge God. 
Wickedness indicates a bad state or condition or badness in a moral sense. In a moral sense. So we do not want to act anti-God with our morals. We have morals. God's revealed those through His Word. And we stand on those morals. And we support those morals. We vote for those morals. And we do it. The end of verse 29. Number three. End of verse 29. Greed and evil. Let's stop at evil. 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 Let's go this way. Number three. Sin will attempt to get the believer to harm others. To harm others. That is the basic meaning of the word evil. To have a heart that is dark. To have a heart that is dark. Evil is when you're doing something that is unjust to another person or another person's property for that matter. You're looking out for no longer you don't you're not looking out for the well-being of your neighbor. If you're not looking out for the well-being of your neighbor, you're doing something evil. So you want to be supportive of others and not evil. You want for everyone else you meet this week to be better off after meeting you. You don't want any evil to come to them. Number four, turn over to chapter 2, verse 23. Chapter 2, verse 23. Chapter 2, verse 23. You who boast in the law, here is talking to the Jews. Though through your breaking the law, you dishonor God. Breaking the law. Breaking the law. Number four. Sin attempts to get the believer to dishonor God. To dishonor God. We honor God by keeping His law. We honor God and we do not break His law. We try to Breaking his law means to step over a boundary. To step over a boundary. We don't want to step over a boundary. We want to stay right in where God wants us to stay. Paul's talking about the Jews who do very th- the very thing the ungodly do. They dishonor God. <laughs> he claims they're doing the same thing the Gentiles are doing. Dishonoring God. Sinners dishonor God by their sin. By stepping over the boundaries that God has. Now, if God has a boundary for us, we know that it's for our best and we do not step over that boundary because we want to honor God. We don't want to dishonor God. Chapter 5, verse 17. Chapter 5, verse 17. Chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Chapter 5 is talking about Adam and the second Adam, Jesus Christ. He talks about the first Adam. His sin was a transgression. A transgression. Transgression, it means to trespass. You're going someplace where he said not to go. 
to trespass. So number five is sin will attempt you to get believers to reject what God says, to reject God, to go against what God says, to don't believe God. Remember Adam and Eve? Did God really say? Transgression. You go against what God teaches and believes. Talks about sins as individual acts of transgression, usually against God. The sin of, Adam, sin of Adam and Eve was to reject God. And we as believers got to be careful because our sin nature will try to get us to reject God. And we want to be on God's side. Paul emphasizes Adam's trespass brought death to all that belonged to him. And we don't want to follow Adam's example of sin and trespassing against God. Here we go, number six. Drop down verse 19. 19. Chapter 5, verse 19. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many were made righteous. For as though one man's disobedience, disobedience, disobedience is to act in non-compliance. It's not to do the obedient thing, it's not to do it, anything. You disobey. So let's put it this way. Number six, sin will attempt to get the believer to lack trust in God, to lack trust in God. In other words, you don't believe that God knows what his commands are for you and that his commands are maybe not for you, it's for somebody else. And you don't trust God that you need to obey God's commands. You think you can come up with better commands. You don't trust God. Disobedience denotes a moral act which is provoked by the sentence of condemnation. <laughs> you disobey, you'll be condemned. Disobedience is the act of being unfaithful to God. So you'll be unfaithful to God. You will not do what God wants you to do. You'll be unfaithful. Your sin nature tries to get you to be unfaithful to God. Don't do it. The thing he did was therefore evil because it was forbidden by God. If God forbids it, don't do it. It's not good for you. You want to be obedient to God. You, don't, you want to show that you trust God. You don't want to be disobedient. Here we go, number seven. Chapter 6. Chapter 6. Yes, I'm sorry, we only get through chapter 6. I ran out of points here. We only have 7 points, so we didn't get through all 16 chapters. Sorry, here we go. 6. Chapter 6. Verse 19. Chapter 6, verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh... For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so that now you present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Resulting in sanctification. What is sin's daily plan of attack upon your sanctification? Number seven. We'll stop with seven. Sin will attempt to get the believer to abandon your duty. Abandon your duty. As a believer, as a follower of Christ, you are made a child of God. 
You are given a duty to do. And you are to do it. Part of your duty is to obey the moral law of God. Sin nature wants you to break the moral law of God, not have any laws, not obey any laws, not obey any morals, to do whatever pleases you, which would be sinful. Lawlessness, attempt to abandon your duty. You are to, literally, lawlessness, to act in contempt. Act in the contempt. The act of doing unlawful deeds. Iniquity. Or acts that reflect rebellion against God. You're not going to do your duty. Lawlessness is a disregard of duty. You say you're not going to do what God wants you to do when you know what God wants you to do. And you won't do it. So, this is how your sin nature will attack you this week. These seven different ways. If you're prepared for them, you won't be surprised when they come. And when they come, and they want you to be lawless, you go, nope. It's my duty to obey the moral law of God. I am to be a testimony to the non-believers I'll meet today that I follow the moral law of God. It doesn't matter what the Kansas law says. It matters what God says is moral. And I'll be obedient to that. Or whatever. Whatever one through seven you want to think of. Here you go. Application. Will I know? By the way, the know there... I'm going to use it the same way our passage did this morning. <clears throat> Oida. Oida is head knowledge. You know it. You may not have experienced it, but you know it. How my sin nature and sin's plan of attack will try to stop my personal growth and sanctification so that I can trust the promises of God to have victory over my sin nature and not my sin nature over me. That's your battle this week. You want your sin nature and sin's plan of attack not to have any effect on your sanctification. You want to have a positive week growing in sanctification. How? By knowing sin's plan of attack. Knowing what your sin nature wants to do. You can defeat it by using the power of God and the promises of God so that your sin nature doesn't have victory over you, but you have victory over your sin nature this week. Now, the best way to start this victory is to make, your, make sure you're saved. A sinner cannot keep the moral law of God. As long as he has a sin nature, he will completely go against the sin, the law of God. He will be lawless. A believer cannot keep the moral law of God without using the gifts that are described in chapter 8 that will control his sin nature. Only by faith can a person be saved. 
In other words, you trust the promises that God gives in his word. Do you trust the promises God gives in your word? If you trust the promises, you'll be faithful in doing your duty in serving God this week. And you will not serve your sin nature. You will be faithful and you will do your duty. (coughs) Excuse me, I saved this illustration for when... We only had three people come to a sermon. But, since I have more than that, I'll share it with you. You cannot, cannot share it with anybody else that's not in the room. Okay? You cannot do it. Here you go. I got a phone call at church one day from, uh, I'm assuming, a little old lady. She said, I bought something at the store that says Cumberland Bible Church on it. Are you Cumberland Bible Church? I said, yep. And she said, are you the only one in Kansas? I said, yep, we're the only one, Cumberland Bible Church. She says, well, I bought the item that has your name on it. I'd like to give it to you, the church. I said, great. And then she said, I live in Mulvane. How about if I meet you halfway? And I said, okay, I'll meet you halfway. So, I was in Douglas. I was going to meet her at uh, 1 o'clock. So, I get on my phone, and I put the uh, crossroads that she's going to meet me at. And I see that it gives me, sends me to a place in Andover, just south of Andover. No, yes, south of Andover. And I said, okay, fine. It'll take me about 20 minutes to get there. I'll get there 15 minutes early, like I always do. And I say, okay, I'll be there early, and I'll meet her, and I'll get it from her, and I'll come home, get back to work. So I drive, following my map, from Douglas to South Andover. And I went south of Andover, and I went down the street, and I did not see the cross street. So I turned around, I went back, I did not see the cross street. I went back again, I did not see the cross street. And I said, hmm, where am I? Where is this? Where is she? By now, I'm already at 1 o'clock. So by my clock, I'm already 15 minutes late. Okay? So I am screaming at my phone, trying to find out how come it will get me to the cross street that I'm supposed to be at. So, fine. I go down the street again. I cannot find it on my phone anywhere. I cannot find where to go. I went this way, I went that way. I could not find the two cross streets and when they cross. I'm looking everywhere around South Andover. I go, okay, the only thing further south is Rose Hills. I've been in Rose Hills. Maybe the cross street's in Rose Hills. Maybe my phone has it wrong. So I go into Rose Hills, and I start looking for the cross streets, and I can't find them, and I can't find them. By the way, Rose Hills at this time is having construction, which stops me for like 10 minutes every time it stops me. So I'm looking through Rose Hills, trying to find the cross streets. I find numbers, and I think, okay, I'm close. 
<clears throat> and then the numbers stop appearing, and I'm lost again. So I'm going through Rose Hill. I go down south. I go up to north. I go down south. I cannot find the cross streets in Rose Hill. I'm going, what in the world's going on? <clears throat> and I'm saying, maybe, maybe it's closer to Mulvane than Rose Hills. So then I go further down to the street that comes down. What is it, two, what is it, 210? What is it that leaves Douglas that goes to Derby? Is it 210? 210. I'm already now, I've gone, I've gone full loop. You understand? I've gone from Douglas down to Augusta over to uh, Andover. And now I've gone through Rose Hills. Now I'm back up. It's an hour and a half late. No, I am an hour and a half. No, it's at 45 minutes late after one o'clock. It's 1.45. I'm after one. I'm, I'm an hour late by my clock. Okay. I was supposed to be there 50 minutes before. So I come up to 2.10 and I say, there are no numbers on this street. There's no cross street here. And I'm going, what in the world? So I do a U-turn in 2.10 and I start going back to Rose Hills. And as I'm making my U-turn, I'm looking the both ways, I see a car parked over by 2.10 and Rose Hills. I'm saying, why is that car parked there? It can't be the woman I'm looking for. First off, I don't think she'll be there. It's 45 minutes late. I go over, I turn, do another U-turn, and I go over to her, and I back, and I pull in behind her. I say, hey, are, are you the lady that has something from Cumberland Bible Church on it that you bought it from a store? And she goes, yes. And I said, well, I didn't think you'd still be here. And I didn't think you would be, and I'm going, so anyway, she gave me the thing. And it's in one of the gold building rooms. So anyway, that's not the point. The point is, <clears throat> I tried to follow my phone. I will never do that again. I tried to follow my phone. My phone was supposed to take me where I wanted to go. It didn't do it. It's a lying phone. It has a sin nature to it. And that sin nature affected my sin nature. And I was upset because of that phone. We have to control the battle we have with our sin nature. Because something as bad directions can get us going. And we could surrender the righteous thing for the evil. And all it takes is just to get off the road just a little bit. And then we'll realize the mess that our week has been. When God wants us to stay on that narrow road and do the moral law of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Word of God, by the power of God, it wants us to accomplish the righteous thing. Don't let your sin nature get you distracted by the lust of this world. 
Because that sinful passion will start and it will produce a sinful action that will get us down the wrong road so that our day will not please the God we love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, time in your word. I pray, Father, you help us to understand how evil our sin nature is, how unwilling it is to do anything good, how, Father, because of our sin nature, sin dwells in us. And, Father, we thank you for chapter 8 and the Holy Spirit being in our lives. I pray, Father, that you help us to understand the battle we're in is impossible to win without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to live this life according to the moral law of God without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to do anything good trying to earn our way to heaven because we're not good and we have a sin nature that is evil. I pray, Father, for everyone in this room that we're not relying upon our sin nature, our good works to earn our way to heaven because it will not work. I pray, Father, for our friends that they would not rely upon their sin nature to do righteous things so we can get to heaven. The only way, Father, is by faith in Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ so that we can be just and justified by the one who has the control of just and justifier, which is God the Father. Thank you, Father, for this time in your word. I pray, Father, you would apply it to our lives so our lives would be more righteous this week than we were last week. So we grow in our sanctification, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.